0: You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. This Friday, January 26th, this is The Christian Commute. I'm your host, Seth Dunn, and my son, one of them because I have three, was sent home from school with a fever. So that means I'm going home early to finish my day working from home in the basement, which is fine on any other day, but that means no ping-pong for me. So I will try to raise my spirits up and, and get through this show. You know, I've had a rough time. Yesterday, there was no Pizza Hut buffet. And then I've been looking, to, uh, looking forward to uh, ping pong all week. Now I don't get to do that. And all my friends will accuse me of dodging them to keep my winning percentage high. And to make matters worse, the inbox is empty. Sorry about the dinging. I'm having to readjust my seatbelt. The inbox is empty on the Christian commute. Roadside Assistance Line, and uh, in the old email, if anybody had a question about Christian theology or apologetics, they would have sent it to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. So my previous threats have been to, if nobody sends anything in the inbox, I'm going to give... An anecdote about coaching youth sports. And right now is uh, 10-year-old boys basketball. I'm off a of 12-year-old girls soccer. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something that's just irritating and annoying to any podcast listener. That's right. I'm going to ask for money. Send me your money for my Why Cross Point and Why Rockbridge campaigns. How about that? So that I can do direct mail to promote my website. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Don't you hate it? when podcast people ask for money they'll go, get on to my Patreon we couldn't do it without you blah 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 and it's the end of the year and we need your funds make sure you're giving to your church first and if there's anything left over send it to us we gotta, we'll got. send you a coffee mug does anybody out there have a Christian Commute coffee mug they exist they're nice too uh, you can get them off Zazzle I used to have a link at christiancommute.com about where you could buy them but I don't that's gone I guess I should put that back I don't make any money off the coffee mugs I think I might get 50 cents or a dollar if you buy one I don't care I I like to order them and give them out to my friends they had a whole bunch of them at the break room at Field Turf Uh, so why am I talking about coffee mugs oh yeah Send me on PayPal. Send me on Patreon. Help fund my advertising campaign. And if you have any opinion I'll solicit your opinions too. If you have an opinion on whether targeted Facebook ads in the Dalton and Cartersville area are better, or direct mail is better, or a billboard is better, let me know. Because if you're driving down the road and you see whycrosspoint.com or or whyrockbridge.com. If you're driving, you're not going to go to it right then because you can't get on your phone while you're driving. Maybe the passenger might do it. But if you're on Facebook and you get the website, you might click on it and you go right to it. Direct mail, that might not even make it in from the mailbox. When I get my mail, I take it in a big stack and I walk over to my outside garbage can, the one that we put all the garbage in that the city comes and picks it up, and I sort through my mail. And pretty much anything that's not a check written to me, I throw away. (laughs) Because the rest of it's junk mail. If it's coupons, I keep the coupons. I keep my my Costco deal book. And I keep my Arby's coupons. But other than that, you're going in the trash. Direct mail. So that's just my opinion. I don't know. Still planning it all out. Thank you to those who've reallocated your Beth Moore money for this project. Okay, let's get to the Bible chapter review. Oh, I didn't even mention the show topic. Interesting show topic. Christian Divorce Court we'll call it. Christian or maybe Christians in divorce court. All right? We'll get to that when we get to that. Matthew chapter 27, verses 33 and 34. When we last left off, Jesus had been judged by Pilate. He'd washed his hands of Jesus' blood, and then he crucified him anyway. He sent him to be mocked by the soldiers. The Roman soldiers mocked him. The whole Roman cohort mocked him in the governor's uh, residence. They dressed him up like a king and pretended to bow to him and then beat him. And then they sent him off to be crucified. And Simon of Cyrene was made to bear his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink, mixed with gall. And after taking it, he was unwilling, I'm sorry, after tasting it, after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And by the way, being given a drink with gall in it can be referenced to the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 69. So you can go follow your Bible footnotes if you want to read that. Which you mean you got to follow the pat- pattern of Matthew. Matthew likes to allude to the Old Testament a lot. Now Matthew didn't have the little footnotes in his original manuscript, but we do. Sometimes there's a direct direct reference. This happened to fulfill what was written and then it gives the Old Testament reference. You just so- you got to put this together yourself. Matthew didn't didn't make a reference to it but you can go and see in Psalm 69 could be a coincidence (sighs) interesting point I want to I want to bring up anybody you know my age or somebody from the last 200 years would say this is the story of Jesus going to Calvary we call the hill where Jesus died Calvary that's a word in the King James Bible it's not in other translations, but it's entered our lexicon to call this Calvary. That we see here, it's called Golgatha, which means place of a skull. It's, that's where executions happen. I think that's pretty self apparent, or yeah, self apparent why that self evident uh, why they named it that. And when he gets there, he's offered this drink, wine mixed with gall. Why is Jesus offered this drink? Because this is this is to ease his pain. It's a deadening agent. It's a pain reliever. To give somebody wine mixed with gall was to drug them up so they wouldn't feel as much pain. So yes, the crucifixion is an agonizing death which suffocates you. And yes, Jesus had been beaten, but there is a small bit of mercy... Offered to Jesus, and I think we can assume to others being crucified, when they finally get to the cross, uh, they get this concoction, this deadening agent, to ease their suffering, even put them out of mind. Jesus tastes it. They give him the drink, he tastes it, but then when he, he notices that it's not just wine, but there's wine mixed with gall, the gall's mixed with the wine, he won't take it, he won't take the drink. So Jesus refuses the deadening agent offered to him by the Romans. Now the Bible doesn't say why he refused, or at least Matthew doesn't here. He could have refused it because he wanted to have his right mind about him. And he didn't want to say nonsense on the cross. You know, because if you take some drug, you might say anything. Remember, Jesus has a human nature. so he I don't want to say he would have got drunk on the gall, but it would have definitely affected his mentality. Some people say he refused it because he wanted to bear the full punishment of God on the cross for our sins, not lighten the punishment. I don't know why. But he did. He refused the deadening agent. He refused the drug that would have made his passing easier. And with that, we'll end The Christian Commute. This is going to be a short show, because i got no question in the inbox. Nobody wrote in to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. Nobody called 470-315-0875. The Christian Commute, your theological roadside assistance. No one submitted a question about theology or apologetics, and I have a feeling next week, we might have more of the same. I hate it when the inbox is empty. And for the record, nobody donated any money. When I did that Beth Moore Cruise fundraiser, the money rolled in. But then I, at that time, I had links to my Patreon. You see how the people who want money do? They just bring it back to the money all the time. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme. Give gimme, gimme, gimme. Okay, let's go to today's show topic. Christian's. And divorce court. Christians and divorce court. I've talked many times on the show condemning divorce as sinful. I've done it through the Bible chapter review when Jesus has talked about divorce. I think I've done it in response to questions that are submitted. And I think my position on it has been really clear. You're never going to find me advocating, recommending, or recommending divorce. Not on the Christian commute or anywhere else. God hates divorce. And, you know, I mentioned briefly divorce being unrighteous. Not just divorce itself, but remarriages when I did... My show on Alistair Begg's bad advice, I called it bad advice, it's sinful advice, to tell somebody, listen, to go to a quote unquote gay wedding is a sin, it's a sin, you shouldn't do it, and Alistair Begg advised somebody to sin, that's what he did. By the way, update on that, he's been taken off of American Family Radio, his program's not on it anymore, because they didn't, I guess they didn't deem him fit to be featured anymore. And I think that was a good decision on their part. I don't know who all's on American Family Radio, but good for them for removing him. So yes, I've, con- uh, I've condemned divorce, and yes, I've I've showed the biblical teaching on how divorce turns into adultery. Letting you know what, but God has put together, let no man separate. Don't remarry a divorced person, etc., etc., et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. But I think what I've never brought up is the actual process of divorce when there's kids involved and when there's assets involved is going to court. So I'm lucky to have never experienced divorce in my family. My parents have been married for over 50 years uh, my wife's parents. I mean, I've known them my whole life. I mean, I haven't known them. I haven't known them my whole life. But I think they've been married for I don't know forty, maybe, almost forty. Uh, I think I probably need to throw them a fortieth anniversary party soon because the fortieth is coming up. Anyway, they're not divorced. None of my grandparents were divorced, so I've never really seen firsthand in my family the splitting up. At least my immediate family. My mom's twin is divorced. And I've talked about that before on the show. I did a, I did an episode about her ex-husband's funeral. But what happens when people get divorced? There are marital assets. The house, the car, investment accounts. That have to be split up. And you can guess everybody wants all the stuff. And a couple getting divorced, if they don't have a prenuptial agreement, they have to go before a judge in family court or probate court, divorce court, wherever that falls, when their legal union is legal is separated legally. And the judge has to decide who gets what of their stuff. Not only that, and probably worse, cuz stuff can be replaced, is they decide who gets the children. Now if both parents are decent people, you know, not criminals, not on drugs, attentive, they're gonna get joint custody. Probably a 50-50 type deal. Where one kid one parent gets the kid if they live in the same town, one parent gets the kids for three days and the other parent gets the kids for three days and they go back and forth like that. Or they might have a situation where, you know, the dad gets nights and weekends. And the mom gets days. Or the mom gets all the time and the dad gets the summers. And they try, if the parents are both fit parents, to split that up 50-50. But I want to tell you this, as a father, nobody wants their kids to be away from them 50% of the time. Or 10% of the time. And yeah, there's a balance for people who say, well yeah, I know I want my kids with me, but I also want them... You know, they have two parents. I do want them to get to be around their mother or their father, whatever the case may be. But there's a contention there. And it has to be settled by a judge in divorce court. Now, there are people who get together with lawyers and hammer out their own deal. They don't go to court. But a lot of this ends up in court. So we've talked about the permissiveness or sinfulness of getting divorced at all as a Christian, but we haven't talked about the unbiblical and sinful nature of the process itself. And I think, I think I, I've been remiss by not, by not bringing this up because it's very interesting. In Corinthians, Paul condemns the Corinthian church for having lawsuits among themselves. He's saying, you guys are taking fellow Christians to law, that is to the civil magistrate in our modern parlance, to have them decide what should be done about your disputes. He says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? You guys need to decide about this yourselves. In other words, when Christians have a disagreement, especially, I should say, biblically speaking, because of the issues of church discipline, Christians who are members of the same church, but conceptually, you know, any Christian at all, they need to go to some kind of mediation between the with the elders of their church or their, the local church to decide what's wrong. Think about... Uh, Think about the baby, like Solomon's baby, when the two women went before Solomon to argue from the baby. Now, at that, Solomon, of course, was the civil authority at that time, but he was also, a, in some sense, a spiritual authority too because it was a, the theocracy of Israel because Jesus had appointed the king. But should Christians be going to the secular courts and letting the secular courts decide who gets... There's stuff. Number one, Christians don't need to be going to the secular courts at all. And number two, to let the secular courts decide who gets your children. Now, if you have a case where you have a Christian spouse and a non-Christian spouse, and you know, for the sake of argument, we'll say the woman is the Christian spouse and the male is the non-Christian spouse. And I'm setting it up that way because I think in real life That's probably uh, the most, that's probably the case most of the time when you have unequally yoked spouses getting a divorce. It's probably the man who didn't go to church and the woman, I'll change him. You know, he'll change for me, and then he didn't. And he went to church, but he didn't, you know, he just did it because his wife went. Guys, and hey, women, everybody listening, if men will go to, chick flicks starring Matthew McConaughey and Jennifer Lopez about dumb stuff. And if men will go to, I don't know, operas or plays they don't want to see or, I don't know, museums. If men will go do stuff with their wife, you know, some men are lazy. Their wife wants to go hiking. Like They'll go, a a lazy man will go walk through a mountain with his wife because she wants to go. So you better believe if men will do a bunch of stuff they don't want to do to make a woman happy, They'll go sit in church for an hour. So when you have one of these situations, and you've got the divorce, and it's a non-Christian abandoning a Christian spouse, well, you look, and what's it say in the Bible? Paul says the spouse is not bound, the, the Christian spouse who's being abandoned. Okay, they're not bound, this is going to go through. It's obviously not a pleasurable or favorable experience. But they still should want to fight if they have to for their kids and for their and for support. And I I am I'm not an expert on our current legal system, but you you understand we're we're dealing with a different legal system in the 1st century. I don't think women were getting court-ordered child support and visitation rights in the first century. Probably just men got their way. Unless the woman had a powerful and rich father. I don't, I don't know how divorce looked. I bet there wasn't alimony and child support. The dad, if he wanted him, probably got the kids. That's not how our society works. Women have a lot more say in the legal system. So just understand that Paul is dealing with a different legal system than we are, but the principle remains the same. Now a woman who is just, who has a lawyer who's saying, well, she deserves some kind of child support. You know, she needs visitation from, her custody of her kids. She should have custody. Like, okay, that's fine. It's okay to do that. I'm not saying that's sinful. But I'm talking about two Christians. If they're professing Christians who are going through divorce, both of them need to be under church discipline. For either one not being repentant or one or both not being repentant and one or both not being forgiven. But look what it takes. Not only does it take disobeying Jesus and doing something God hates, now you have to go to the secular courts and you're supposed to be the people of God to have the secular courts decide who gets your stuff and your kids. That's sinful too. And now let me ask you this question because I was thinking about this. Yeah, that's what the Bible says and we need to do what the Bible says. Who among you would put it up to the members of your church to decide who got your kids in a divorce? Or who got your house in a divorce? Or how much you should pay your wife in alimony? Who among you would, would decide that? Now we know no, no Christian court, if you will. No, no Christian presbytery would ever get together and say, we're going to divorce these two professing Christians and split up their assets. Any biblical faithful presbytery would get together and say, no, y'all are going to work it out. So, stay in your house, keep your cars, keep your kids, and work it out. But just just think of your just practically wherever you go to church. Do you think you'd let your church decide some matter that you went to court over? I mean, it's a pretty big deal to go to court. You got to get a lawyer. It's a lot of times, a lot of time you got to really mad at somebody to do it. Would you, would you feel comfortable letting your church decide that? If you had dis- some dispute with a fellow Christian? I would imagine most of you would say no. And I think that says something about the difference in the church environment today as it was then. If you think of church now... You got a 1000 member mid-sized church that you don't hardly know anybody there and they don't really know you versus the churches in Paul's day being out of the world and into the kingdom like you're being out of the world and into the kingdom with like a very close knit group of people who are going to be ostracized from mainstream society, not popular. People you know and who know you that are going to be able to fairly render some judgment if there's a dispute between you and another Christian. But what we have now, when churches are consumeristic, attracting people with programs, music, kids' areas, uh, these are people... That a lot of people don't consider as having a covenant relationship with when you think of your church can you look at everybody there and say we genuinely have a covenant relationship and I would be okay with these people making some serious judgment that affects my life the type of judgment that I would go to court over Or do they not know you? Do they not understand covenant? Are they not biblical enough people? I'm going to tell you this. If I'm a member of a church and I'm there on Sunday morning and they got people hands held high, listening to goat music by Hillsong and and swaying along and crying while they sing it, I don't think those people are fit to judge anything. And how many of you guys, that's where you're at, and that's where your churches are at? It's consumeristic. It's not close-knit. They may say it's a family gathering from the pulpit, but is it really? Do you have meaningful membership? The church environment, the church culture... The, even the bylaws, the operations of a church should not make it harder or more do, difficult to do things biblically. Rather, it should facilitate Christians to stay out of the court system. And I think we have to, when we're talking about a local church and you're talking about a married couple, I mean, you've got to assume they're going to be members of the same church. Who's ever heard of a married couple where where The husband gets up on Sunday and takes one kid to First Baptist, and the wife gets up on Sunday and takes another kid to Second Baptist. And they go to two different churches. I realize there might be Catholics and Jews who are married, and one goes to the synagogue, and one goes to the Catholic church, or a Catholic and a Protestant, and one goes to the Catholic church, even though Catholics aren't supposed to marry Protestants, and one goes to the Protestant church. I get that can happen, but 99,000 times out of 99,001, I think the couples are going to be part of this, members are part of the same local church. But when they're going through their problems, do they go to their elders at their local church for, for help, or are they the kind of people who are going to go to lawyers? I want to tell you this, if you go to a consumeristic church, you're not going to go to your elders to have them help you mediate your dispute. You ought to be able to handle things with your wife yourself, but... The church is there because sometimes wives get real wrong and sometimes husbands get real wrong you ought to be able to go to the church elders to help you mediate the dispute because all this is spiritual in nature it's a spiritual union but a consumeristic person at a consumeristic church phone call number one or maybe number two is going to be to the lawyer And you're going to end up with situations where there's a divorce and one person leaves the church and goes to another church. Listen, in a divorce situation, one person should never leave church A and then just start going to church B. You know why? Because church B would, should say you're not allowed to be here because in order for you have to have gotten divorced, your church should have kicked you out. I'm going to say that again. If you've got husband and wife in church A and they get divorced and husband just shows up at church B the next Sunday church B should say why are you here? you should have got kicked out of church A for this and if you got kicked out of church A we're not going to let you into church B you need to go fix things with church A now do you think your modern secular coffee bar church is going to do that? to that person who's a professional Christian now why is it why is it like this this way? By way of review. So you got husband and wife. There is some altercation between husband and wife. Let's say let's say the wife cheats on the husband. And the husband says, You've cheated on me, you've betrayed our marriage vows. You need to repent of this action, disassociate yourself with the person that you had an affair with, and hopefully they're not a member of the same church. You need to repent of this. The wife says, No, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna repent of it. You know, I felt genuine affections for that person. Me and you hadn't got along in a long time. You know, you drove me to it. I don't repent. Husband says, Okay. Now right then. Does he say, I'm calling a divorce lawyer? If he calls a divorce lawyer, right then, he's in sin. And he needs to be put under church discipline along with his wife. Now neither of them are in good standing with the church until they've repented her for her adultery, him for calling a divorce lawyer. Let's say he does the right thing. And he goes to the elders, and he says, my wife is cheating on me, she won't repent. Two or three go with him. They say, listen, you know that what you did is wrong. And she says, you know what? You're right. I was wrong. I should, you know, I was mad at my husband. I was mad at him when he asked me to repent. But you guys have come, Bible in hand, and you're right. You've, adultery is a sin. You've shown me my error. I need my husband's forgiveness. I repent. Now the husband's been put through the ringer. He's embarrassed that the elders had to come. He's embarrassed that his wife's cheated on him. Now people at work and uh, have found out about it. Other people at church have found out about it. Maybe the guy she slept around with posting about it on Facebook. He's embarrassed. He's angry. So now he files for divorce. And they get a divorce. And he's like, I don't want. I can't be at the same church with you anymore. I'm going to go over to church B. And now we got joint custody of the kids. Oh, and now we, we're Christians and we've taken each other to court to decide who gets the kids and who gets the house. You can have the money. You can have the house. Take the Cadillac and that boat out back and your mother's pink and yellow couch. You can have every penny that I will make from this here song. Girl, all oh, I won't. You to leave me is alone. Alright, so even if he gives up all the money, and like in that Darius Rucker song, and just wants to be alone, he goes to Church B. Somewhere during that process, Church A should have said, you need to stop these divorce proceedings. She's repented of her adultery. You can't divorce her. She's, she's penitent, and y'all are Christians. If he continues with the divorce proceedings... And he will not forgive his wife. The church should put him under church discipline and kick him out of church A and declare him an unbeliever. If he won't stop the divorce. And not accept him back into fellowship until he repents of the divorce and tries to get back with his wife. Now, at the point that he's been declared an unbeliever, his believing wife is free, even though it's her fault. Because, I mean, she didn't win. A, that, that's not winning your non believing spouse over with your love, is it? Now it's cheating on your spouse, even though he was nominally a believer to begin with. But what a lot of churches will do is they won't do that. I'll, I'll go ahead and say most. I don't have a Barna survey, but when have you ever heard of this happening? What a lot of churches will do, they'll just accept that he left, and he'll go to Church B. And you know what Church B will do? Oh, we're glad you're here. Let us put you in our divorce care program. Get on uh, ChristianMingle.net. We're, bring your kid to youth. No, 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 no. Get out of here. We know what happened at Church A. We know that you got declared an unbeliever and kicked out of Church A. Don't come here to Church B, and don't bring your new girlfriend here to Church B, and Oh, that guy's going to go to Church B, and then he's going to find a new girlfriend, and he, and they're going to get married, and, and Preacher B is going to do the sermon. No! Or not the sermon, the, uh, the ceremony. No! No! It's not how it's supposed to work. Now, I just told you what happens and how it's supposed to work. In your life, given that the divorce rate in this country is 50%. And something like 25 in the evangelical church, quote-unquote evangelical churches. How We've all seen people get divorced. How many times have you seen it play out like that? No, what you end up with is professing Christians, splitting up, moving to different churches, and having the secular courts judge their kids. Because they were never taught how it was supposed to go. And they make their decisions based on their emotions and how they feel. And by the way, do you know why people pick churches? Like LifeBridgePointCross.com, Coffee Bar, Ayatollah, Rock and Roller Church. Do you know why they pick them? Emotions. That's why people listen to Corey Asbury on Fish Radio. Because it's emotions. He's a blasphemer. I have emotions when I hear Corey Asbury. It's revulsion, it is blasphemy. I want him to repent and be reconciled with God, not be a blasphemer. I want to hate what God hates and love what God loves. God hates divorce, God loves mercy, and love, and kindness, reconciliation. I can find you in the Bible where those are the things God loves and advocates and hates divorce. So you're going to love what God loves and hate what God hates? Regardless of how you feel. Because if you feel hurt, you can react in anger to somebody. And that's not you being forgiving forgiving like the Lord forgave you. Or through hurt and, and a lack of trust, you can retreat. Now it's easy for me to say my wife didn't cheat on me. If my wife cheated on me, I would be very angry. I would have hurt feelings. And I'd have to process through all that. But there's still a watching world around, and I need to biblically go through that. I would have to biblically go through the reconciliation process. So would she if the shoe was on the other foot. So would you, so would your, your husband. It's the same for all of us. And it's easy to say in the car on the podcast, isn't it? This is how it should work in theory. It is, it's January. I made my manufacturing budget for my factory. When I walk in at the end of the month, I'm like, hold on a second, we're supposed to make, you know, 700 pounds a minute. And But we made 600, or a minute. I wish I had a machine that made 700 pounds a minute. We're supposed to make uh, 700 pounds an hour. I'm making up a number. That's not really what it is. Or is it? Uh, We're supposed to make 700 pounds an hour, and we only made 650. What the heck? That's not how it was supposed to be on the sheet. Yeah, because real life's a little tougher than the sheet. Because in real life we have temperature changes, in real life we have yarn breakouts, in real life we have machine breakdowns, in real life we have absenteeism, in real life we have a different product mix than the one we budgeted. So we got 650 instead of 700. So I can sit here in the car all day long and say this is how it's supposed to be because the Bible says, just like I can sit in my office and well my spreadsheet says this. Our people are supposed. They're budgeted to make eighteen dollars and eighty-seven cents an hour. You're paying nineteen oh five. Well, economy is different, and that's well, we're not supposed to have any overtime. We, we didn't have enough people, so we had to work overtime with the people we had. The world, and dare I say, the devil is going to throw all kinds of variables at you. It's your job to stick to the book. Now, the woman in that situation. She can't make her husband repent and forgive her. Can't do it. But what she's supposed to do is stay out of the secular courts with him until the husband is declared an unbeliever. And when he goes through those divorce proceedings, she's supposed to go to church. You guys got to get him to come back or declare him an unbeliever. I'll take him back, but you got to do this. Not happening. It's just moving audience members around. I'm going to tell you this. I think the prime, that one of the biggest reasons that churches nowadays hurt divorce or hate, don't like divorce is because it hurts the bottom line. People can't give as much money when they're keeping up two households and spending money on lawyers. And they might get so down in the dumps they don't go to church at all. And when something bad happens in your life like that, traumatic, a divorce is like a death. Maybe you lay out of church for a while, and maybe you stop going to your church. Maybe you're going to go to another one because you can't be in the same Sunday school class anymore. Because you're in the you know you're in the married forty Sunday school class or the married fifty Sunday school class. You don't want to be in the same sanctuary anymore because your wife ain't sitting by you anymore. Now you're just gone. You change your life. You get a new group of friends. You get a new church. Left behind. Covenants versus consumers plays out, y'all. Let me just um, let me make up just sort of this ridiculous hypothetical situation. Let's say you wanted to open a falafel stand, but you need a business license, and the only way to get a business license in your state is to throw a baby off of a cliff into the ocean in order to procure the blessing of the ocean god for your business, and it doesn't have to be your baby. There's an, there's an orphanage that, that keeps orphaned children, and you can go get one there for cheap and toss him off. Because you want to open your falafel stand. I could come to you and say, it's a sin to open a falafel stand. And I'd be right. And you'd say, show me in the Bible where it says it's a sin to open a falafel stand. And I'll say, well, I can't show you that. But we both know in order for you to open a falafel stand, you have to get a business license. And for you to get a business license, you have to chuck that baby in the ocean, and that's murder. So yeah, it's a sin to open a falafel stand. So you could say, Well, show me in scripture whether it's you know, where it's a sin to go to court and, and contend for something that's yours. Well, if you have to take another Christian to court before the world, it is a sin. How sad is it that professed Christians, husband and wife professed Christians, can't work it out and have to go to the courts? And how further sad is it that their churches won't step in and say, y'all can do that if you want to, but not as a part of this church? And by the way, when you're thinking about visiting or joining a new church, this is a kind of hypothetical situation. Not that because you think it's going to happen to you. To ask the pastor who just wants you to come and be a part, what would you do here? And see if they have the, the right answer. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again on Tuesday. As always, God bless. And as always, remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.